You're listening to the Epic Living Podcast with Jim Simcoe. I'm Jim Simcoe, and I'm here to help you make your life epic. So let's get rolling. Hi, this is Jim Simcoe, and welcome to the Epic Living Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to find inner peace after trauma. So it's kind of a serious topic, but it's one that uh, I do like to talk about to help people out. Um, at the end of the day, we are all uh, imperfect people, and we've all probably been faced with different levels of trauma in our lives. So I want to talk about how you can find inner peace after facing um, trauma. And I'm going to use my own personal story on this one. So um, let's get rolling. So I grew up south of Boston in a small town called Attleboro, Massachusetts, and uh, raised by a single mom. Uh, my biological father lived in the Philippines. And <clears throat> when my mom and I were on our own, my mom met my dad, who's my legal father now, my, who legally adopted me when I was 10, and they started dating, I think when I was probably like seven, six or seven, something like that. Uh, I don't remember the dates very well because I don't, I've blocked out a lot of my childhood. But anyway, the long and short of it is, is that um, from the ages of about eight or nine, uh, excuse me, uh, probably about nine and through high school, I was sexually abused by my uncle, not my uncle Patrick, who I love dearly, who will probably be on this podcast at some point in time, who's one of the funniest people and one of the coolest people I ever met, but uh, by a different uncle. And this uncle was sort of the gregarious, life of the party uncle, and he sexually abused me for about four or five years. Like I said, it's, um, <clears throat> it's hard to remember the exact dates because I've blocked out a lot of that part of my childhood. So I spent a lot of my childhood sort of uh, trying to avoid him. It always used to happen at my grandmother's house. My grandmother lived in the same town as us and she would have big parties and he lived there too. My parents would come there. Because both of my parents were younger and um, just getting their career started, there were tons of times when they would leave me with my uncle and uh, who was obviously, you know, you know, very happy to to babysit me since he was a pedophile and knew that he would be able to abuse me when they left me alone. And he always told me that everybody did this, but you shouldn't tell your parents because they don't get really mad at you. And, you know, it's sort of the classic story of sexual abuse for anybody on here who's either dealt with it, had it happened to them, uh, or know people who have. Um, the crazy thing about sexual abuse is that one in five people has had uh, uh, some situation involving sexual abuse. So I'm, I'm one out of five people. So anyone listen, listening in, there's probably other, you know, other people out there who've been faced with the same thing. So anyway, the, so my uncle, you know, everyone would leave the house. My parents would be at work or whatever. And they would, and they would, you know, drop me off with him and they would always drop me off in the late afternoon after school. And, you know, he would, he never sodomized me, but he made me do a bunch of stuff. He did a bunch of stuff. I'm not going to go into the details, but you can imagine that it was just a horrific experience for a 10 year old, uh, uh, 10 to, I guess would have been 16 or, or nine to 16. I don't, I don't really remember again. Um, I never said anything. I never had the, uh, uh, you know, I never said anything. There was never an outlet for me at school. Um, I was always a really, really good student in school, and I became 
Uh, I got to a point in my life where I just didn't care whether I lived or died. I just didn't give a shit. And, and I would think about like a truck, you know, hitting me at the bus stop. And I would think, wow, like if that happened, then this would all be over and I wouldn't have to dread going to grandma's house. So, uh, you know, another part of it was, was because most of the abuse happened after, um, after school for my entire life, I have always hated the late afternoon sun. And I think that that's largely because I can remember uh, the late afternoon sun kind of coming through the window and I knew that, you know, he was coming to get me in the house when nobody else was there. So my point in telling this story, and I'm going to talk you know, a little bit more about it as we go on, is that I was eventually able to find inner peace. And so I'm going to talk you through kind of what my what my journey was in the hopes that I hope it helps you. Um, I do believe that we've all faced some level of trauma in our lives one way or another. So this has just been my journey. So when this all happened and when I finally graduated high school and I was able to get out of the house and avoid him, um, there were, I had sort of two choices. I could either fight it and tell people about it or I could just bury it inside and not tell anybody and just go on with life. And I re- and at that point, um, not being you know super smart, I decided to just bury it. So I didn't tell anybody, and I didn't tell anybody for about fifteen or twenty years. And I just figured that okay, well, you know, I can deal with this. I'm tough. I'm strong. I'll just bury it. I'll pretend it never happened. It doesn't have to define me. Blah 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 blah. And obviously, I was wrong about all of that. Um, it was, uh, and I saw it uh, come out in my in my actions i would date people um and you know for me sex was all about power it was never about love it was all about taking what you what you want and who cares about the other person so i dated a lot of people and didn't have really really great relationships i didn't let anybody get close to me because i was fearful of it and i still had that level of dread and sort of that level of feeling uh, you know, I'm not feeling very great about myself and I felt like, you know, I was damaged goods and <clears throat> not good enough and I would walk into a room and and I would see other people and I would think like, wow, you know, I wonder if anybody else in here can tell that, you know, I was sexually abused or I wonder if anyone else in here um, thinks I'm a fake or thinks I'm an imposter. It's amazing what you can uh, play out in your head about yourself when you're faced with some level of trauma like I was faced with and and how you can justify it in your head and how it'll all, you know, make sense in your head. So I really chose to, uh, you know, avoid it and, and, you know, not really do anything about the abuse, not talk about it, not go to therapy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and my apologies if you hear background noise. Um, it's because I'm pacing around my office right now. Uh, because this is a kind of an uncomfortable topic for me to talk about, but I think that it's really, really important. Uh, because if I can help one person uh, in this, then I it, it's more than worth it for me. So anyway, so I chose to bury it for a number of years. Um, and when my triggers would come up, like the late afternoon sun, or feeling damaged, or feeling not feeling good enough, um, uh, you know, I just didn't recognize them, quite honestly. And I didn't know what they were, so I didn't pay any attention to them. I also... Uh, most of my life have found that I like to take really, really long showers. 
And, you know, and as a green guy and as a guy who's like, you know, protective of the environment, it's like one of the worst things you can do. But one of the things I found was the reason I did that and, and still find myself doing that occasionally is because after these episodes would happen with my uncle, I would just want to take a shower and just clean myself as much as possible. And I couldn't get clean enough. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, like, you know, I take long showers. So it's something that, you know, you have no idea how much it plays off to the regular, into your life until it's, you know, until it's happened to you. And I'm sure, you know, there are people on this who are listening and have had this happen to them as well. So for me, um, and I mean, getting into the part of like, you know, really, how do you find inner peace? For me, the turning point came after I met my wife, Kelly. Um, and when we got engaged and when I went to my bachelor party. So for my bachelor party, I had 10 friends who with me went to Dana Point, which is California, which is like a little beach town. And we surfed. And we went out drinking and we went to Wahoo's Fish Tacos and went out to dinner and just had two days of surfing and playing volleyball on the beach and hanging out and drinking beers and whatever. And it was fantastic. Before I went on this trip, Kelly asked me, she said, you know, are you going to go to a strip joint? And I said, no, I don't have a reason to go to a strip joint. I'm not super into them. Like, who cares? Like, it's not, it's not a big deal. So I made a promise to her that I wasn't going to go to a strip joint. So anyway, the last night of the, of the bachelor party, I am super, super drunk. <clears throat> and if you, anybody who's ever met me knows that, you know, if I have two beers, I'm out of my mind because I'm a very big lightweight. And my friends are like, okay, we're taking you to a strip joint. So they took me to a strip joint. I went to the strip joint and, you know, I barely remember anything about the night. Um, but when we got home, you know, came home from the trip, huge hangover, came home and I'm sitting in my kitchen. I still remember where I was sitting in the kitchen and Kelly was in the kitchen as well. And she's asking me about the trip. How was it? Whatever. And then she asked me, she said, you know, did you go to a strip joint? And I didn't want to lie to her. So I told her the truth and I said, yeah, we did. And I said, you know, I'm really sorry, but we did. And she got very, 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 very upset. It was, you know, and we had a huge fight, probably one of the biggest fights we've ever had. And as we're kind of going back and forth and I'm apologizing and she's crying and then she's yelling and then I'm yelling and kind of going back and forth. I finally said to her in no uncertain terms, I said, look, like, I don't know what it is for you, but for me, sex isn't about love. Sex is about power and getting what you want. So I can't connect with you that way. And I'm sorry. And if that's the only way that you want to connect, then we might as well just call off the wedding because I'm incapable of doing that. And she was obviously very upset and she didn't understand why. And she's like, I don't get it. You know, da, 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 da. so finally I told her about my uncle because I hadn't told her yet. <clears throat> and I told her all about it. And we both sat in the kitchen and we both were crying. And, you know, I told her everything. And, and, and you know, she was obviously super supportive. And, you know, we talked further about it and she was the first person, um, one of the very first people I've ever, I've ever told about that. I told her about everything. I told her about how I hated late afternoon, how I hated late afternoon sun, sunshine, how I don't even like the word afternoon, how it was my uncle and my dad's brother and all this other stuff. Told, I told her everything. And, you know, what's crazy is like after that, and we kind of talked through a bunch of stuff and we were, felt really, really connected 
we went upstairs and we made love and it was probably the most connected we've ever been. It was just fantastic. I was finally able to access a part of my own psyche on a sexual basis that I'd never been able to access in 30 or 20 plus years. So that really was a stepping point for me. And at that point in time, it was, I had to make a choice. I either needed to step up or I needed to stay buried and keep my feelings buried. And at that point I chose to step up. And after that, after that, um, after that talk with, with Kelly, I began seeing a therapist and I kind of worked this, a lot of this stuff out with a therapist. Um, and I also began talking about it. So I would tell people, and even though I was nervous to tell people, I would tell people, you know, not just walk up to someone and say, Hey, guess what? I'm, I was sexually abused. But you know, if it came up in, in topic or if it came up with it some way, I would tell people. And I started slow. I started with a couple of close friends, I told them, and then finally, I told my mom, who was obviously upset. I told my stepdad, Tom, who was very, very, very upset and wanted to fly back to uh, the East Coast to kick the shit out of, out of my uncle. And if you, um, uh, my uncle at this time had become extremely successful in the town that he lived in. And so unbeknownst to my dad, because my dad didn't know it, my aunts and and my other uncles didn't know it. They would send me texts and say, oh, or emails and say, guess what? Uncle blah, blah, blah is doing. He won another award. And he's, you know, the mayor of the city of Baltimore is giving him a key to this. And he's getting that. And he won that award. And he's in this magazine. And da, 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 da. You know, because none of them knew that this was going on. So that was about the only time where I thought I felt like I was really, really going to lose it. So I began seeing a therapist. That was great. Talked about it with people I knew. And what I found was the more I talked about it, the more empowered and stronger I felt. And I really at that point began to make a choice to say, you know what, like <clears throat> I'm not gonna let this experience define me. I've buried it for 30 years. I'm not gonna let it define me. I'm going to, I'm not gonna be a victim of sexual abuse. I'm gonna have sexual abuse. Sexual abuse definitely happened to me and there's nothing I can do about it, but I'm not gonna be a victim the rest of my life. I'm not going to use this as a crutch. I made that choice. And, you know, that's one of the things we'll talk about is like choosing, choosing to be okay with it and choosing to not be a victim. What I also did was I also started writing letters. So I wrote a few letters directly to my uncle. I never sent them, but I wrote letters and graphic letters about what had happened and why I was so furious and how it's changed my life for the worse. And you know, just a bunch of things, pages and pages and pages of letter. And typically I, like many other men in the world, am not really excited about going deep with my feelings or getting in touch with my raw emotions. You just don't typically enjoy that. Um, and this letter writing really forced me to deal with it. And so I did it. And eventually I actually, um, after that, after telling my mom, telling my stepdad, basically everybody in my family knew um, on, on, on one side of the family, but nobody on my dad's side knew. And remember my mom and dad had been divorced. So I ended up telling my dad and I called him on new year's day once and told him, and he was extremely upset and we had a great connection and we talked for a while. We talked for a couple hours. He told me a bunch of stuff about his life that I didn't know about. Um, some of the challenges he had faced and we just really connected on a much deeper level. 
I would say actually, in fact, that that's probably the best conversation I've ever had with my father, um, in, you know, in, in knowing him since I was 10 and it was just, it was amazing. So at that point I had told my dad, I had told all of my family. So basically everybody knew at that point. The next thing I did was I actually wrote a letter, excuse me, I, excuse me. The next thing I did was I actually called my uncle, called him on the phone, which I was nervous to do, but I did it anyway. And I forgave him. And he was crying on the phone and making all kinds of excuses, you know, just a bunch of bullshit as far as I'm concerned. But I forgave him because I needed to do that for me. I needed closure on the experience. I didn't give a fuck about him. I'd really, and I still don't. Like, I could give a shit what happens to that guy. Um, but I needed to take that final step. And what I've found is in each one of these steps that I've taken, each one of these baby steps that have led into bigger steps is that the more and more I've talked about it, the more and more I've done therapy, the more and more I've written letters, the more I called him and told other people, the more empowered and the stronger I felt and, the, and, and, how I, and I would feel a lot less like a victim and much more like an empowered man someone who's really, really, really strong. So the, and, and, and part of that is, is like, as you kind of get to a point of having inner peace around this, peace gives you power. So I got to the point where I was at peace with it. It's something that happened to me. It's not something that defines me. It's just something that happened to me. And I'm at peace with it. I've done all the work. And now I feel powerful around the issue. When I meet people, if it comes up in conversation, I have no problem talking about it. Um, I have no problem telling people. Most people are taken aback. Most people are somewhat shocked that I'm as open as I am around it. But quite frankly, I don't think of myself as someone who's damaged. I don't think of myself as someone who's broken, someone who's unclean. I don't think of myself in the way, in the ways that I used to. I don't think I'm not good enough um, the way I, way I used to. And now... I do what I can to help others. Um, I serve on the board of directors of a sexual abuse prevention nonprofit and a sexual violence uh, prevention nonprofit. So my thing is now is if I'm if I'm able to help um, some kids, some kids like me who were in that situation and don't have anywhere to turn, then I really want to do it because I remember those days and I remember thinking like. I don't give a shit if I die. I don't care if I get hit by a truck. I just want this all to go away. And I had nowhere to go. I had no outlet to go to. So if I can provide an outlet for someone else, then I'm excited to do it. I'm happy to do that. So here's the advice that I would give you after telling you this story. You know, the advice I would give you in terms of how to find inner peace after, tra after trauma, basically have five things for you to do. So this is regardless of what kind of trauma you've been faced. Maybe, you know, you've faced alcoholism in your life or you've got, um, you've had, you've been a victim of abuse or someone you know has or whatever it is. We, we've all had trauma in our lives. I firmly believe that that's, that's just the case. And, you know, that's just, uh, uh, unfortunately, that's just kind of the way it is. So the very first thing I would tell you for advice, five things is that, if you've had trauma in your life, the very first thing you can do is forgive yourself. Okay, you need to forgive yourself. This was a very difficult one for me. Um, I always felt that this was my fault. I always felt that for whatever reason, 
you know, my uncle doing this to me repeatedly was my fault. It was my fault for not telling anybody, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the very first piece of advice is for you to forgive yourself. It is not your fault. Okay. This is not your fault. What happened is not your fault. It happened to you. It doesn't define you, but it is not your fault. I can't stress that enough. That's the very first thing you need to do is be gracious enough to forgive yourself. The second thing is to make a decision and choose to not be defined by your trauma. Look, there are plenty of people in the world who are defined by their trauma. You see them in every walk of life and you see them walking around all the time where you could just tell like, look, they've had trauma in their lives and and they're largely defined by it and it's how they see themselves. So I believe you, you need to make an active choice to not be defined by your trauma. You need to make an active choice to say, look, this happened to me. I am not a victim. I will not be defined by this. That takes a while to do. Um, when I was going through this, this was not, you know, I didn't really have anybody telling me, you know, giving me this type of advice, but I will tell you since I've been through it, that is number two is choose not to to be defined by the trauma. So choose not to be defined by it. The third thing I would do is I would get help. So whether help is in the form of going to see a therapist, whether help is going out with your best friend and having some beers, glass of wine, or playing racquetball, whatever it is, get yourself help. Get in a situation where you can talk about it. I really do believe the more you're able to talk about it, with each word that you say, about your trauma and getting through your trauma, that actually helps release some of the the damage of the trauma because you're letting it out. It's like a yawn, or it's like, you know, you're just letting it out. And so the more you talk about it when you're working through it, the better, you know, the better you'll be. Um, which also leads into my next one is like talking about your trauma. So you need to get help, whether it's professional help or a good friend, and you need to talk about it with your, um, with your person that, you know, the person that you trust and maybe it's your spouse or your partner, you know, that's the, that's the third thing. The fourth thing is for you to be public about what happened in appropriate circumstances. So if there's an opportunity for you to tell somebody about this and it makes sense to do it, you should do it. You'll find that it's a very empowering thing. I even did it just recently in a group of, you know, 20 people that I didn't know and the topic came up and, you know, the, the woman asked for volunteers about something and then, and I raised my hand and told her I had been sexually abused and everyone in the room from that, from then on looked at me differently. And I had several people come up to me afterwards and say, Hey, I really admire your courage to be able to do that. You are really, you know, like I admire your strength and being able to do that. I know that the very first few times I told people or went public with it, I was scared out of my mind and I thought that, um, you know, they would never, like people wouldn't look at me the same. And what I found out was like, that was true. It was like, people don't look at you the same. They actually look at you better. They, they look at you with more admiration because they look at you and they say, Jesus, that woman's got the balls to say that. And she's got the balls to tell people all this stuff. Or that guy's got the guts to let us all know that. I mean, how strong is that guy? How courageous is that guy? It is something that will be more empowering for you long-term is to be public about it when the, when the circumstances warrant it. Like 
I don't suggest you walk on the round on the street with a sign that says I was sexually abused, you know, unless you <laughs> feel like you need to. Um, but be public about it. Don't hide from it is really the key on this is by being public is you're not going to hide from it. Again, this doesn't define you. This is something that happened to you. And that's it. It happened to you. It's not your fault. It doesn't define you. Don't let it define you. Okay. I can't say that strongly enough. And then the fifth thing is to help somebody else in a similar situation. So when you, what I find is, is working with that nonprofit that works uh, with sexual abuse and sexual violence prevention. What I find is, is that that's an incredibly empowering experience for me. And it's, it's rewarding beyond means because I'm able to help a kid, you know, who's, you know, who's probably either gone through what I've gone through or has been faced with similar situations. And you can't say it enough that when you're able to help somebody like that, especially in a topic that is as near and dear to your heart um, as, you know, whatever your trauma is, it's incredibly empowering and incredibly fulfilling um, to to you when you do that. And and I could tell you, like, I've, I've won uh, all kinds of awards in my past career in sales and, and, uh, in corporate America. And I've won trips to Mexico and I've, you know, made tons and tons and tons of money. And the, the single best award I've ever won in my life, I won from Jeans for Justice, which is the nonprofit that does, that works with uh, sexual abuse and sexual violence prevention. And they awarded me their uh, business person of the year a few years ago. Um, I still have that award in my house. It is, uh, I won it in front of probably five, 600 people. And to this day, that's the best award I've ever, I've ever won. It's the one that's the most fulfilling to me. It's the one that is the most meaningful for me. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, and it, it's the one that I will always look back on, um, and really, you know, really, really be happy about is that specific award. Um, and I really think that, you know, tying this podcast all together is that, you know, we're part, the goal of this podcast is to help you, help you create an epic life. And part of creating an epic life is, you know, doing the things that make you happy and bring more love into your life and make life easier. And, you know, we've talked about some and we'll continue to talk about more, but also part of it is too, is dealing with some of the shit that you don't want to deal with and dealing with trauma, you know, unfortunately is something that you probably have to deal with. And if you're lucky enough to not have to have, not to have any trauma in your life and in your listening, then I'd highly recommend that you help someone, one of your friends who's, who's had trauma in their lives. Cause it's highly unlikely that, you know, you don't know anyone who had trauma in their life, but you know, building an epic life, creating an epic life, which is what we're here to do. A big piece of this is having inner peace and, and getting rid of that trauma, getting rid of the effects of trauma. So again, the five things to help you find inner peace after trauma, one, forgive yourself. Two, choose not to let it define you. Three, get help. Four, be public about it. And five, help somebody else. So I thank you very much for listening. This has been a very personal uh, podcast for me to record. Um, if you've had trauma in your life, or if you ever want to talk further about how I can help you, if you've got um, something I can help you with, please feel free to email me at jim at epicallday.com, jim at epicallday.com. And I promise in our next podcast, we'll go back to laughing and uh, uh, probably a much lighter topic. 
And until then, I look forward to talking to you and thanks for listening. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you want more information, check out my website at jimsimco.com, J-I-M-S-I-M as in Mary, C-O-E.com for more updates and some free guides to help you make your life epic. With that said, I hope you have a fantastic day and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks.